Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tennis with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show. And I today uh, have the pleasure of hosting uh, James Peeling, who was on the podcast, I think, two and a half years ago. Uh, we did a Wimbledon preview, and it's been, uh, I think, quite the return. I, I tried to get James, I think, and we had some conversations, but we never actually uh, got the podcast back again. But uh, today, I think it couldn't be a better week, the way Miami tournament ended, a lot of world-class tennis on the WTA side. Uh, welcome back to the show, James. Hi, Sakib. Ha- uh, thanks so much for having me again. Uh, Honoured to be back. Yeah, I was just listening as part of the prep to the last podcast we did, and that was that was Wimbledon preview in 2018. You were covering Eastbourne, and that was your birthday. So, yeah, a lot has happened since. You know, we've it gone certainly through... has, yes. <laughs> no, I was just saying we've gone through, I mean, we still live through a pandemic. Tennis is, you know, having its issues. Uh, but we are glad that, you know, from that lens, some tennis is actually there. And uh, talk, so let's get started. I mean, uh, talk about Miami. What are your views? Uh, again, with a lot going around <clears throat> with the pandemic bubbles and the international travel. And then we'll get to the actual tennis, which was world class this week. It was a great poster for women's tennis. But uh, what is your view on you know where the tour is at and the difficulties players are facing? Yeah, it's um, it's well, it's obviously a very strange time at the moment, and I think kind of um, kind of just happy just to have live tennis to be able to watch. Um, obviously, Miami had. Um, did have some crowds, um, which was nice because crowds, it always helps to kind of bring an atmosphere, but obviously they were quite, quite limited. Um, but yeah, kind of at the moment, I think we're coming into that stage of the season where all these tournaments we didn't see last year. They, it's from Indian Wells, obviously they started getting cancelled. So it's kind of just really nice to see these tournaments for the first time in like two years. Um, so yeah, just really happy to be able to to be able to watch watch tennis in Miami because uh, it's been quite a while. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, this is where the hardcore season transitions to clay. I think the women are already in Charleston, but uh, uh, let's start with the Miami final. I mean, uh, I mean, kind of uh, uh, you know, not the ending, you know, anybody wants in a sporting event, but uh, what a comeback for Bianca Andreescu. You know, she's been out for more than a year, if I'm correct. And then she builds on that impressive resume of winning these clutch three set matches. So from that lens, I know you wrote about her on your uh, on your blog, but uh, what was the expectation meter for her? Has she, I mean, what was the report card for her coming into this week and was a final appearance anywhere close to being expected? Um, no, I, <laughs> and although obviously Andrescu with, uh, everything that she's achieved, her sort of, her, her performances in 2019, when she won, um, when she won Toronto and the US Open, um, it, it's like, it's there, we know what she's capable of, but she, it's been such a long layoff, uh, and she's had so many injuries, and I think, she looked good in Australia. I remember her, her first match um, in Melbourne against Buzanescu. She looked really good, uh, but then came up against Shear, uh, which is always going to be a tricky one. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. I did not expect to see her reaching the final uh, at the start of the tournament. But then, as the tournament progressed, and you saw her kind of 
progressing through these rounds. I don't think it was like a major surprise because we know what she's capable of. Um, I felt like her run was very Toronto-esque. So um, in 2019, she, she won Toronto and she kept having these long three set matches. And I kept thinking like she's never like the next one she's going to hit hit the wall physically she, she's not going to do it and she just kept winning these matches and it kind of felt a bit like this in Miami she kept kept digging out these three setters and it's becoming a real trademark of Andrescu just sort of her mentality just is phenomenal um and the way that she's able to just find another level and dig these three set matches out I was I think I wrote on my blog actually um doing a little bit of research using a tennis abstract amazing resource um and she's I think her three set record on the tour is something like I think she's won 26 26 of 35 three set matches that's incredible it really is um so yeah it was it was great to watch and she's a real a real value add to the tour and obviously the final was was really disappointing it was just I'm hoping that it's um it's not going to be like a huge step back and I, I think I read in her press that it's um she doesn't anticipate that it's like a um a big injury I, th- I think she um yeah, I think she might be out for a few weeks, possibly, but um, I'm hoping that she'll still be able to to play the clay court season as expected. Yeah, everyone hopes. I mean, she's been uh, kind of injury plagued in her somewhat, you know, very young career. So yeah, that's the last thing you need, you know, uh, to be tennis. You know, losing Bianca for a few more months. I think she's the tour is much healthy when she's there, and there's a lot of talk of you know, like uh, WTA can create the next. I mean, they they already are. Uh, here they all have arrived, but you know there could be a budding rivalries between three, four different uh, styles of play, and one of those players is Ash Barty, and uh, she won the whole thing. You know she also had her own comeback to the tour. Uh, again, she this is the first time she's traveled outside of Australia due to the pandemic, so she came back to the tour uh, in Australia, but that was her home country, and now she traveled and she defended Miami. And there was a lot of talk about you know the ranking, but let's still. Let's focus first on on the week here. She defended her title. Uh, what are the takeaways from this performance? You know, did you expect a title defense? Uh, because, you know, she hasn't played uh, too much competitive tennis, unlike the other girls who have been on tour since tennis resumed in New York last year. So uh, how surprised are you by this win uh, with uh, Ash, Ash defending the title in Miami? Um, I was quite surprised, actually. Um, I think defending a title is not something you see very often these days. Um, So although it's a slightly weird concept in that obviously she's defending her title from 2019, but it's still, yeah, I thought it was it was really quite impressive. And I think we need to um, kind of journey back to the second round because in her first match where she played um Christina Kachova she actually saved a match point um she was two five down in the third set um and she she saved a match point I remember I think it was a a return winner um and that was that was really really quite gutsy and I remember when she when she won the match she kind of she pointed to her head which I thought was which I really liked um and that obviously was a big win 
And we, we've seen it quite a lot where players um, save a match point and then they go on and progress through the tournament. And it, it is a thing. Like, obviously, we saw it at the Australian Open as well with um, with Naomi Osaka when she saved match points against Muguruza. It is a thing. It, it almost seems to kind of, I don't know, players almost, they're almost thinking like they're on their way home. They're, they're on the plane to the next place and, uh, and suddenly... They're still in the tournament. I, I get the sense that maybe it kind of relaxes them a bit. Um, and I thought from there on, I thought Barty played a great tournament. Uh, and in fact, she's played great all year. Um, I think her serve has always been great, but especially this year, I think it's looking even better. Um, and it's it still kind of, I still feel it's almost underrated in a sense because kind of because of her stature, I think she's five foot five and she has one of the best serves on tour, um, particularly the second serve, which is really quite a crucial shot in women's tennis. Um, so she served great. I think her forehand is looking is looking better this year. And I, I don't know if that's I did read that. I think she's changed um, the strings. I think she's now got gut in her strings. So I, I don't know if that's helping her to get more pop on her forehand. Oh, yeah, so. It's a good tidbit. I mean, uh, you you always wonder when you hear these pros, you know, and, and Barty, I mean, top of the rankings, won French Open. Yeah, when they make these kind of changes, equipment change and the string change, that's always fascinating. So let, let me stay with Ash Barty here. Again, uh, you talk about the match point here, but after that, she also had a few three-setters, uh, one with Azarenka, which was like, a, it was three-setter, but not your typical three-setter. All three sets were pretty lopsided. Uh, and then she had a tough one against Sabalenka. So what was that moment for you when you were, you know, watching these matches and writing about these? You thought, okay, okay, she's going to, you know, maybe she'll defend this title. Yeah, they were tough matches. Um, The Azarenka one, I think, um, very lopsided in the scoreline and definitely the first two sets. But actually the third set at the start, the scoreline was perhaps a little deceiving. Uh, There's some really close games in there. It was really tight. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think I think Azarenka had some break points. Uh, may have been at two all, and Barty held on. And then from there on, she just she kind of had it. Azarenka started to go away. Um, and one of the things I love about Barty so much is the way that she constructs points. I find it so refreshing to watch. And it was the way that she uses her backhand slice. And I thought Azarenka dealt with it really well in that match. But when it got tight towards the end, she was slicing on the backhand and it was just starting to kind of, I think, force some errors from Azarenka. It's it's a bit of a bit of a slow burn of the slice. It kind of it gets there in the end. Um, and then the Zabalenka match as well. Um, really tight match. That one um, mostly served, dominated, very few breaks. Um, I felt like Barty, it was really close, but... The first set and a half, I felt Barty was in control. She was like playing. She did a great job at kind of getting the points, kind of controlling them the way that she wanted to. Um, But Zabalenka competed superbly. And then um, in that second set tie break where it could have gone either way, I remember Zabalenka hit this amazing forehand winner and it just sort of changed the tide of that tie break. And... um, Third set, Barty just so looks so secure on serve. Um, 
And actually, I, I think it could have gone either way, but um, Zabalenka seemed to pick up a bit of an injury. Um, she was feeling her, I think she had a bit of an abdominal injury, um, but Barty was just kind of ruthless. She didn't give anything away and was just so dominant on serve. Um, so, yeah, some really tough matches. I've noticed a bit of a trend that um, she's had quite a few three-setters this year, Barty. She'll often win the first set and then get pegged back in the second set. But so many of these matches, she's managing to reset in the third set and actually come through. I think I wrote on my blog something. I think I think she's had like six three-setters this year. And I think she's won the first set in five of them, lost the second set, and then... In five of those six matches, she has gone on to win in three sets. So uh, she, I think that's noteworthy, the fact she's managing to to reset her game in the third set and actually come out on top. No, I think that's a very important point because I think with all these champions, if you see, and you know these trends appear once they are drawn into these matches, winning is a mental habit, right? You find yourself in these situations and uh, usually the players who are you know ranked one, two, three or lift more trophies than others do find ways to come out of these uh, scenarios. Uh, another thing that gets talked about a lot with Ash Barty, I'm sure you've written about it plenty of times, is the variety. And so does Bianca Andreescu. So what kind of a matchup was this? Of course, it ended you know, with an injury. We don't want to see that, like I've said before. But how mouthwatering a matchup is this? You know, Two of the most versatile players, not in WT, I think in all of tennis. Yeah, no, I kind of feel, um, I kind of want to see it again because I was really excited for this matchup. It was probably the most excited I've been about a WTA final, probably since um, Barty Muguruza uh, at the start of the year. Um, And it was, I guess it was mostly because we've never seen them play before. We didn't know how their games were going to stack up. And to be honest, I kind of still feel a little bit like that because of just how the final went and with such an unfortunate ending. Um, but yeah, so um, I think um, with how the final went, I think kind of followed the same trend. Barty served superbly. I think she had one, there was one service game where Andrescu managed to get into Barty's service game. She started to get into the rallies. It felt like the tide was turning. But Barty just managed to kind of kind of keep ahead. And then from the middle of the first set onwards, it was it was quite one-sided, really. Barty kind of had control. I just generally felt like Andrescu looked a bit flat, a little bit subdued. Um, perhaps that was just all those three set matches starting to catch up with her. Um, I also wondered whether playing in playing um in the day was a thing because Andrescu, I think her last four matches before the final were all at night. Um, so she had to adjust to the change there. But yeah, I'm still still not really sure with the matchup because I think I feel like we didn't really see enough and we didn't see Andrescu really 100% to really get a full flavour of the matchup. So I'm really hoping we, we get to see it again, hopefully maybe during the clay court season. Absolutely. This is a matchup for the future. That's what at least I was trying to. Yeah, relay. And and you're right. Again, uh, it's unfortunate the way, you know, this was short change for, you know, Bianca's health and, and the fans hope we get to see this again. Uh, but the, the big standout performance of the week for me was uh, Maria Sakari. I spoke to her two and a half years ago in Miami when she was an up and coming player. And now she's come quite a long way. I think 
she should be mixing with these girls, I think, on a regular basis. I think there's a lot of upside. But again, the biggest upset was, you know, taking out Naomi Osaka, who, you know, who was in the refuse to lose mode. I mean, so talk about that when I know you covered that uh, on your blog. So uh, let's relive that match, you know, uh, with what Sakari did good and, you know, probably a bad day at the office for Osaka. Uh, over to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, fantastic week for Maria Zachary. Um I've watched quite a few of her matches this year um, from uh, quite a few in Abu Dhabi. And like, she's improved her game so much, particularly on serve. Like her serve is, is a massive weapon now. Uh, and I think um, in the Osaka match, I think she, she served really well. She returned really well um, from that first game. Um, Osaka had 40 love and Zachary just started getting really big returns in. You could see the threat was there and she went on to break. And obviously she won the first set six love, which was um, quite jarring. I don't think, uh, don't think any of us saw that coming, uh, particularly with how Osaka's been playing this year. Um, and then the second set, um, it started to get tight. Osaka playing much better as you would expect. And, Zachary just went off her game and it is something I've noticed a bit. She does every now and then she does, she loses the rhythm and suddenly starts committing unforced errors. Um, but what was key was that she managed to bring it back um, in that set and um, she won a couple of tight games um, and she really held her nerve. She's, she's a fantastic match player, a great fighter on the court. Um, but all the improvements to her game, it just, it, yeah, it all kind of, fell into place and I thought she did a great job to be able to to get across the finish line because obviously no one's done that against Osaka in such a long time. Um, so although obviously Osaka wasn't playing her best, she had a bit of an off day, uh, which is completely understandable. Um, great job from Zachary to, to get across the line, get that win. Yeah, to Maria's credit, I mean, she too also had her uh, moment where she saved so many, you know, match points against... Jesse Pegula and uh, she didn't win the tournament, but, you know, that was one hell of a performance as well. Uh, so building upon that, if you want to take a quick look of, you know, what unfolded in Miami and these informed players, of course, Osaka is there and then defending champion for Roland Garros, Iga Schwantek is there. So what, how does this set up the clay court season? You know, how excited are you to cover cover these, you know, these players and what stands out when when you have to preview the clay? Um, yeah, no, looking forward to the clay. Um, expect the unexpected, I think, which is just kind of the tagline with uh, with the WTA. Um, I think one of the big story, one of the big stories to look forward to, which I think everyone was kind of already starting to think about when Osaka won the Australian Open, was okay. So she she looks amazing on hardcore, but obviously she's um, she's never really translated that form to the clay. Um, I think her last clay court season, she did have some good results. So we know she can play on clay, but whether she's really progressed in the last couple of years. So I, I think that's um, that's going to be one of the key things that I'm looking at. That I'm just really interested to see, like, can she translate this form? Um, so I think that's going to be a big talking point. Um, the French Open always seems to be the slam where you see surprises, things that you're really not expecting. Um, as good as um, Iga Sviontek is, I don't think no one could see that coming last year, her going on to win the title. So I'm kind of just fascinated to see 
who's who's going to come through because I'm sure there'll be many surprises along the way. Not true. I mean, again, uh, let's narrow it down. I mean, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but again, what are the five or four names that come to mind if you were to do a rough draft of a power rankings for Clay? Uh, who sits at the top? I mean, I mean, I can even help you. I mean, I, I think where does the list <laughs> start? <laughs> um, I can throw in names and you you take them away. <laughs> yeah, so that's obviously so. Um, Timon Halep, I think, obviously on Clay. Um, I think she is always one to watch. Um, so whatever form she brings in, Halep's one to watch on Clay. Um, I'm interested to see Iga Spiontek after what she did at Roland Garros. Um, it's going to be a big task trying to, still a long way away, but it'll be a big task trying to defend those points. And we kind of saw um, with Sophia Kenin at the uh, Australian Open, how that affected her. Don't know if Spiontek's going to be the same, but that's going to be quite a, a big deal for her mentally, I think, trying to sort of deal with that. But I, I, she has to be in those power rankings, I think, based on what she achieved at Roland Garros last year. Um Mogaruta has to be there, right? Sorry, what were you going to say, second? No, I was going to, I was, my bad, I was cutting you out, but uh, Mogaruta no. has to be in the mix, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, big fan of Mogaruta. Um, yeah, no, I think she's had some fantastic results on clay and her start to the year, um, it's one of my favourite, um, favourite things that I've seen so far this year on the WTA Tour. It kind of, it puts a smile on my face to see her, kind of rejuvenated to just yeah just um really engaged in all these matches uh winning so many matches playing these tournaments her level has been so consistently high and um she's got a proven track record on clay so and to be honest every single french open i seem to end up predicting Muguruza to win so i'm pretty sure whatever happens she'll probably be my predicted champion whatever happens uh so, uh, yeah, she's definitely close to the top for me. Um, other players. Oh, this is where I'm um, I'm getting a blank brain. Uh, where, would you, where would you put Barty in the list of maybe top five or maybe below top five? Clay, uh, the strong clay players? Yeah, Barty's an interesting one. I get, I would say, I would put Barty close to the top. Um because obviously, um, Sabati didn't play on clay last year. So her last outing on clay was winning Roland Garros. Um, but she's always spoken about not uh, kind of before that, uh, Roland Garros actually not feeling that comfortable on clay. Um, and she's always sort of said it's a pathway to getting onto the grass, which she always talks about loving. Um but yeah, I think her game actually matches up to, well to Clay, and I guess she started to realise that when she uh, when she won in um, in 2019, um, just with the serve, sort of heavy forehand, it just kind of suits the Clay. So yeah, I, w- I would put Barty up there as well. Interesting. Another player again. Uh, it could be a digression, but uh, who had a good week in Miami is Alina Svitolina. Uh, but she's a player who we have talked about at this podcast and many podcasts. I think, you know, she's been the topic of discussion, like when is she going to break through? So at this stage in her career, what is a good week for a player like Svitolina? And then uh, where would you rank her in the pecking order for Clay? It's a two-layer question there. Yeah, no, I've gone back and forth so many times with Svitolina. Um, 
So if you kind of look back to last year's French Open, um, where I think she made the quarters, um, as the draw kind of kind of fell apart in terms of like a lot of the the heart, the seeds kind of falling away. Svitolina was, I think, one of the highest ranked players left, and you kind of really felt like, wow, this could this could be her time. And um, I think she came up against Nadia Podoroska and. Credit to Podoroska, she played a great match, but it just felt like Svitolina just didn't really, didn't really show up and play her her game. And yeah, ever since that, I've kind of, yeah, I kind of lost my faith a bit in Svitolina, whether she really has what it takes to, to go and win a major, whether she can hold her nerve in these big matches. All too often, I feel like she just gets too passive when it gets really tight, she just retreats behind the baseline and just just kind of retrieves too much. She she kind of lets her opponent dominate. And against a lot of players, her retrieving and her movement will win her matches. But in those really big matches against the best players who are who are really going for it, it's I just don't feel like it's enough. Um so yeah, I do have my my doubts and my question marks about Svitolina. Thought she had a good week in Miami. Um, she did really well to beat Petra um, in the um, in the fourth round. Um, but against Barty, I just feel like I'm not really sure what she could have done differently. Barty was just kind of just controlling all the rallies. Um, so yeah, um, I think yeah that next step at the Slam. So she's made a couple of Slam semis. I think a Slam semi is a is a great result. But to go that next step, I'm I'm not entirely convinced yet, if I'm being honest. Sure. Uh, another player, you know, whose name always resurfaces. Again, it's not like she's dropped out of the top 10. But, uh, you know, one of the best players not to have won Roland Garros is Kiki Bertens. Where's her tennis at and what do you expect from her for the upcoming clay season? Yeah, so um, Bertens um, had surgery on her Achilles um, in the off-season. Um, so she did come, she has... She's back. Um, I think she came back in Doha, but um, she's lost. I think she's lost her first three matches and she's not won, not won many games, um, which I'm not concerned about because I think when you coming back from surgery, it, I think she's just kind of finding her feet. Um, but I did just see that she's pulled out of Charleston, um, which is a shame. But she is, um, she's one of the best players on clay. Her movement on clay is just, just dreamy. She, I think she's probably one of, if not the best mover on clay. Um, and I guess, I guess maybe it's recency bias because I think if she'd been playing, I would have, de- I would have, and should have named her in um, for the power rankings. But I think because because she's still coming back um, from the Achilles problem kind of she's kind of under the radar and I think we need to see whether she can kind of um just find her feet and get some form um if she can have a good run somewhere in one of the upcoming clay court tournaments um just to kind of kind of to get her season going then she'll definitely be someone to look out for at Roland Garros definitely yeah absolutely that's the name you know we all keep track of where she's in the draw and all the clay events. Again, a world-class player has done good on hard courts as well. But mm-hmm. this is the time of the year when her name is, you know, doing circles and who's going to be one of the contenders. 
Uh, before we talk about Serena Williams, uh, is there anyone on your radar, maybe, who are dangerous sleepers in the field for the clay season? Uh, any young players or any veterans you want to talk about that who could, you know, who could be a factor in this uh, six, seven-week stretch leading up to the French Open? Yeah, um, as always, there's, there's so many players to uh, to keep an eye out for on the WTA Tour. Um, so let's have a thing. Um, always like um, Carolina Mukova, uh, who made uh, semis of the Australian Open. Um, she's had, um, I think she's struggling with an abdominal injury at the moment, which I think she picked up during the Australian swing. Uh, but she's always one to watch. Um, so if she's fully fit and healthy. Um, I think Sara Cerebes Tormo, uh, she's had a great uh, month. Um, she um, she won her first title in Mexico. Um, she had a great one in Miami, pushed Andrescu hard. That was one of the best matches in Miami. Um, so she's definitely one to watch out for. Um, any others? Um, we've already talked about Zachary. Um but I really feel like she's one to watch out for. She's always done well on clay. I've I wrote on my blog actually. I feel like she's I feel like she's due like a a slam quarter final, maybe a semi final. Um, so I'll definitely be looking out for her during the clay and to see where she gets placed in the uh, in the Roland Garros draw. Um, Is uh, Fiona Fair and one of the players that uh, that you think uh, can make a name for herself or? Yeah, not not a name that would instantly come to mind, but okay. a great run on clay last year. Did really well at Roland Garros. Um, I kind of feel she's a bit underrated, actually. She she's had a few good results this year already. Um, yeah, no one one to watch out for, um, and I hope hope that she could build on what she achieved on clay um, last year. Well, let's talk about Serena Williams. What is this clay season at this stage of her career? Could, could bring could represent and uh if if healthy what how do you fancy your chances for a full clay season yeah i guess there's so many unknowns with serena just whether she's going to commit to playing some of the warm-up taunts i kind of feel like that's that is key for her to get those matches like historically i think she's been able to go into slams almost a bit cold and actually just go on and win them. But I feel like she does need those matches these days. And I think, um, I think at the Australian Open, she, she played um, a couple of, a couple of, uh, a couple of matches at uh, one of the leading tournaments. And I think that really helped her going into, into the Australian Open. She really started to, to build her form. And I thought she played really great. Um, uh, she beat, um, Halep and Zabalenka and I thought that's some of the best tennis we've seen since since she came back from from having um her first child um yeah I really don't know about the clay um I hope that she can I hope that she plays one of the lead-up tournaments I think as long as she's playing she's always she's always going to be a name that we talk about um and she always talks actually about clay that she loves the clay and i wonder i always do think like oh do you do you really mean that kind of thing and i I, th- I think she really does enjoy it but obviously clay can just go any way i think it's it's um 
you, as I've said, you see some of these really quite surprising results at Roland Garros. Um, so I think she probably wouldn't be on my at the top of the shortlist, but she's always someone to consider. She's just, yeah, she's incredible. Um, and you're right. It'll be interesting what schedule she picks because no matter, you know, uh, what stage of your career you are, I think clay is always indicative of, you know, something that can provide you rhythm if you're lacking matches, provided she goes deep in few tournaments. And I think that could be good for Wimbledon. But again, you know, she's Serena Williams. She doesn't really need uh, too much match play uh, mm-hmm. to get her confidence. And she's, you know, super dangerous and probably a title, one of the title favorites at Wimbledon. So Yeah, no, I, I would say, and I think a lot of people said this, that um, I think her best chance at probably winning, at trying to win um, number 24 is going to be at Wimbledon. I think I think that's going to be her best chance. Yep, ag- agreed there. So let's wrap this conversation up uh, and talk about Ash Barty and the number one ranking. There's been a lot of commentary on that. Uh, where do you sit with that and uh, just take the floor and <laughs> have a go at it? Yeah, oh, I do- <laughs> This is a tricky one. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to give much insight. Um, it's such a tough time at the moment. Like it's one of the toughest times we've been living through, like a pandemic. And I don't understand the rankings, and I haven't even tried to understand how, <laughs> how they kind of work. Um, and I know I think they just they did announce um, there was a WT announcement in last week or maybe two weeks ago that I think they're starting to change them haven't even read them it's it's too much goes over my head uh, that makes two of us I mean I was kind of relying <laughs> on you to lead the way but I guess you know no. a lot of us are in the same boat yeah no I'd fail spectacularly but I to be honest I've seen a lot I've seen a lot of things on Twitter and just generally that I don't know it seems to have almost maybe not upset people but who have kind of yeah I think um to see like, the number of weeks that Barty's been at number one and she's not even been playing. Um, yeah, there, there is a bit of an asterisk against that. And I think that's fine, but she's a worthy number one for me. Um, like she's she's come back, come back to the tour after a year off and she's she's been great. She's, um, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big Barty fan. I love watching her play. Um, so to be honest, with her being number one and just with the rankings doesn't really bother me to be honest um I think the rankings is a bit all over the place at the moment um and I think we just have to accept that we're in the strangest times ever right now so um so yeah um I guess over the course of the next few months I think they might start to kind of start to kind of level out and we'll see what happens uh whether Barty can uh, can hold on to number one sure so thank you James uh, for taking time out to do this podcast on an extremely short notice. Uh, you can find him at Moo underscore tennis on Twitter. And of course, uh, you are very aware of his blog, MooTennis.com. Those of you who haven't checked it out, please go and look at James' uh, coverage of the WTA and you'll find a lot of insightful stuff. I rely on it time to time to go and see what's happening. And, you know, it gives me prep work <laughs> for my podcast. So, uh, it's been a pleasure, James, and hopefully we can talk again, and this time it won't be uh, close to three three years' gap. Thanks, Akiv. It's been an honour to be back. Thanks so much, and hope to talk to you again soon.